Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, we are continuing on with the failed blockbuster series. And I have to say... We're talking about a, a very different movie this week. Last week, we discussed Watchmen. Zach and I were definitely split on that film, but I, I think Zach made some great points as to why that was a failed blockbuster, and that was some help that I needed, because I, I, in my bias and love of Watchmen, I didn't understand why it was failed, and so that was great. This movie, Gods of Egypt, I totally understand why it failed. <laughs> so... I have not seen this movie before. I Watching it last night was the first time uh, in preparation for this recording. And I think when Zach described it to me for the weeks leading up to this, he always said, when I would mention Gods of Egypt and he told me I needed to find you know, my own copy of Gods of Egypt, all that stuff, he always said the phrase, this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> and, and Zach, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I was laughing for a good part of this movie. Uh, whether it be Gerard Butler losing his Scottish accent in Egypt halfway in and out through the movie, whether it be an old man fighting a giant demon worm for no reason in the middle of it, just just everybody's blood is gold. Like, what? Oh, oh, Zach, I sincerely wish we could have seen this in theaters together. That's how much fun I had watching this movie. Oh, God, Rob, how do I explain this movie? Like, I, like Last week, we talked about explaining Watchmen in a nutshell. How do we explain this in three sentences or less? Oh, uh, it, it might not be possible. It really might not be possible. I guess, I guess if I had to try my hardest to boil it down into as quick of a phrase, I would probably call this the most digital-looking movie I've ever seen. Like... Like, everything about this is tin can digital, and that drove me wild while I was watching it. <laughs> We're talking about this movie, but I don't think anybody's seen it. Like that, Ah, okay. This is one of those movies that, as much as I know with Watchmen, we didn't do a plot-by-plot point breakdown. But this one we might be forced to. Oh, okay. Because okay. I have the feeling that nobody other than, like, us and maybe a handful of other people have seen this. <laughs> And I feel like this is not when we like you can't just throw people into the deep end. This isn't Batman v Superman throwing the toddler into the ocean and hoping that they swim. This is this is the equivalent of that uh, for people who are not engaged. I gotcha. Mean. My best explanation of this: I don't know any of the characters' names. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think Rob did a great like a uh, like a very brief highlights reel as to why this movie is so gonzo. Basically, it is set during ancient times. Oh my god, I don't know how to explain this. Um, ancient, it's ancient times Egypt, but it's an ultra-modern technological version of it. <laughs> I don't even, I wouldn't even say that, though. It's like this weird, bizarro... Like, I have to say, like, okay. This, I don't think there's any other movie like this. That's, that's fair. That is, uh... Nothing comes to mind, you know? Even thinking of some of the similar movies, like, what was it, Clash of the Titans? That was very different from this, even though it might have dealt with some of the same mythology. Yeah, because... Okay, I'm going to try once again trying to describe this film. <laughs> it's... it's You have all... like What is it? What did you call it? Uh, Egyptian lore? Egyptian mythology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you have all your characters like you have you have Ra, the sun god. Mm-hmm. You have Horus, the god of air. You have Set, the god of the desert. You have all these different again these characters from Egypt, Egyptian mythology. Black and, Panther. <laughs> yes, Black Panther is here. Is uh, Thoth, the Egyptian god of wisdom? Oh, okay. I thought he was just Black Panther in this movie. <laughs> well, we could call him that too. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, of course. Basically, you have all these. It's, it's a power struggle. It's very. What, Macbeth? It's Egyptian yeah. Macbeth? Yeah, uh, pretty much, you know, when they, they try and uh, just harp on that aspect of, you know, there is that division in this civilization because gods and humans live amongst each other. But it's very much, you know, uh, Macbeth is going to be king, but the uncle comes back and kills the brother and he becomes king. And then, you know, he covets uh, Macbeth's girlfriend or whatever. And, you know, I, I the only thing I think they're missing is the Rosencrantz and Gildestern. But they just they just put yellow or gold blood in, and that makes up for it. <laughs> yeah, there, there is some. Okay, yeah, that, that's about right. So before we get into a breakdown of the plot, because this, this is something quite like Claws or Jurassic World Dinosaur Boogaloo that like, you really have to experience this. This is not something that you can like passively like tell someone and they're then they can relive it this isn't something that's like oh we watched this and this is what happened it's not that type of thing. you need to watch this i agree i agree completely and you need to watch it in the best quality you possibly can <laughs> i did have a really good my my copy was so good looking in terms of how bad the cgi was like i would have swore it was a video game like i was playing a video game <laughs> all right he's wrong there folks but we'll get to that in a moment the thing I like about, like, okay, I think this film, as I was rewatching it in the last 24 hours to get reacquainted with it, it's very similar, oddly enough, and I didn't plan this, to Alita Battle Angel. Okay. In that it has, it's this very earnest, simplistic story that is a technological marvel to look at. I know Rob's going to disagree with that last part. Yeah, I definitely think Alita uh, takes the cake many times over this one. I, di- I honestly do not think this movie looked good in any way, shape, or form. I think this film is a visual treat. I don't see how – I think the effects are spectacular. I think – I think how do you describe the effects? Like tinny? Is that how you said they look like? Yeah, and digital. Very, very digital looking. But how, what is a, a 12-foot-tall uh, – Birdman mech suit gonna look like that's like chrome. I mean, uh, I hear what you're saying. That's not something our brains are used to. But I think another issue I had with it that it was all very bright, and that's why I got the video game sense. Like everything, all of these effects were very, very up in tone and, and hue of the color. And it, I don't know. It just it was it was hilarious for me to watch because I think it looks so bad. <laughs> all right, okay, I, I agree with him on the hilarious part. This movie is. The de- this is another one of the core foundations of cinematics for me in the sense of the podcast because this is a bonkers, gonzo, over-the-top movie. Definitely. And I love every second of it. Oh, yeah, I guess I should say that you know even if Zach and I might be split on if we love the way it looks, hate the way it looks – I definitely think this movie is a complete package. And so I'm with you. You know, this is definitely, like we said, something to experience. As I was rewatching it and thinking about it today, I don't know how exactly to talk about this film because it's not a particularly deep movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
a lot of the reason why I like this is the same reason why I like the lead is that it's a very earnest film. There's no cursing. There's no sex. There's no, basically it's, it's an adventure. It's an action adventure movie with a 200, well, hundred and something million dollar budget. Okay. It, it, depending on what you read, the budget ranges anywhere from, I don't know, around 140 million. And some people say that it costs more. Some, there are so many. I remember the, when I first heard about this movie. It came out in February of 2016, and I did. I, I remember seeing a couple of the posters for it with giant mech suit Birdman fighting giant mech suit Dogman. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, what? I'm like, huh? And I remember this came out in theaters, and it it bombed like royally bombed. Nobody went to go see this, and I'm like. I, again, didn't blip on my radar. It wasn't until eventually I got a hold of a copy of, from my library on Blu-ray that I was like, "Oh my god, I've been missing out." Like this is <laughs> there. There's a list of movies that I keep that I feel um, I somehow have. A, I am at a loss as a human being for not seeing them in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. On that list are some things like, like The Departed is a movie I'd love to see see in a movie theater for like okay. the reaction of the audience. Another one would have been. Borat being like being like in an okay. opening night audience with Borat like like before anybody like, before anybody knew what that movie was going to turn out to be, <laughs> and then like there's other things like I would love to have seen Tron Legacy in IMAX. Some of these ones where it's like it's just the spectacle is just dialed up to eleven. Mm-hmm. And Gods of Egypt is one of those films where it's like oh what I wouldn't have given is to see this on just the biggest loudest sound system. Because there's just like this movie has so many Gonzo elements, I don't know where to begin describing them. I I agree with what you're saying. I think I mentioned it before, Zach. I I honestly wish we could have seen this in that big giant IMAX together. We would have had a blast. (laughs) Yeah, because like some movies aren't worth a twenty dollars surcharge for an IMAX ticket. Uh, Some of them are. Like there's things like Gravity. Uh, spe- spectacle movies that also have that some of just excitement with it. Like, in, I remember when I saw the first Avengers movies uh, in movie, eh, the first Avengers movie in IMAX. Like, there's something special about that. Mm-hmm. There's other movies where it's like, eh, don't really, don't really need the IMAX. It's just, yeah. it's there so they can get make more money off people. But this is, um, I, like I said, I, I, I feel explaining it. I'm not going to do it justice. Sure, sure. Do you want to? Do you want to try and uh, we go through maybe like the big. Plot points of the movie? The problem, though, is that all this movie is is action set piece after action set piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and then every single time one of the characters talks, they either talk in, oh, God, like uh, rhyming, not rhyming, but they, they talk in their little accents about what they have to do. Like, like all this movie is dialogue-wise for the most part is either I am going to it's a, it's either exposition or explaining yep. what it is that they're trying to do. Oh yeah, they had to find a way to cram all this mythology into the audience. <laughs> because they're so okay, I guess we should break down our main characters. Okay. We have our main char- okay, who's the main character? Is it Horace or or uh guy boy? I uh, I would say Horace. I liked Horace better than Guy Boy. Guy McBoy? <laughs> guy McBoy, yeah, I know. I didn't say Guy McFace. Because he's not, well, he's not, like, a Guy McFace has to be a man. Yeah. He's he's a, he's a guy, but he's also a boy. So it's like, okay, I, I don't know. Like, is he, like, he has a girlfriend, and they live together. They, like, they make it very obvious they ran away together, and they have family. Mm-hmm. But they've like, kind of, like, just, I, I, they, that's never explained as to why they ran away. 
Uh, you have Gerard Butler in possibly the greatest performance of this millennia. <laughs> I mean, it, it's. I think it's by default the greatest performance because it's literally all of the performances. <laughs> like Gerard Butler thinks he's in a different movie every scene of this. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was watching some of the special features on the Blu-ray for this, and they're interviewing him about about his role as set. And he's like, oh, like every single time I was on screen, I was doing something different with the character. And they cut, they're like doing different <laughs> cuts and like cuts of like him behind the scenes, like, like I got B roll, like B roll basically. <laughs> and every single time they cut to like four or five different shots of him, and it's him with the same expression on his face every single time. <laughs> it's this look of like, like curious befuddlement. And I'm like, oh my God, movie. Um, I guess they're really your, your main... I guess you what? You have the two female characters. You have older woman goddess, and you mm-hmm. have Guy McBoy's girlfriend. Yes. And the older woman goddess is the, the one with the demon bracelet thing, right? Yes, the demon bracelet. Okay, okay. I don't remember her name. Her name is like Hedda or something like that, I think. Well, I, I don't know any of the characters' names. If it wasn't for the fact that I'm staring at the Wikipedia article at the cast list, <laughs> I wouldn't know any of the characters' names right now. Because, like, it's, like that's kind of not important. Like, that's the weird thing to say about this. Like, I absolutely love this movie. If I feel they made this movie just for me. And yeah, I, I feel like there's so much, there's so much effort and detail that is in this movie that I feel is just like, not that it's wasted, but it's just like, it's not what I'm here for. Yes. Yes. But I appreciate it though. Like, even though like, I don't like it, I certainly appreciate it. So I guess breaking down the plot of this is the film opens up with a narration of an older version of Guy McBoy, like narrating what happened to him during this time period of his life. Yeah. We're in we're in like a like a very idealized version of ancient Egypt. In in the bonus features, they describe it as planet Egypt. <laughs> okay, I guess that's a, based on what we see later on from like the Ra, the Sun God's point of view, that that kind of is what it is, just planet Egypt. And we're introduced to this, and it's a very, it's a weird, it's like a, a like a utopian. Lo- like locale right like that's the vibe they're trying to get at. it's like very utopian it doesn't seem like there's a lot of problems Every- everybody's kind of living in harmony with each other yeah i definitely got it i got a sense that it was um modernized to be like you know a, a current city type of thing or blended in and influenced by that definitely yeah yeah you you have a a very benevolent dictator or not dictator but god in osiris mm-hmm. yeah and it's basically horus's coronation very similar to the beginning of the first Thor movie, where <laughs> where they're in the, it's in the process of his coordina- uh, coronation, and I guess we should also bring up that all the god characters in this are larger by what two to three feet than the human characters. Yeah, so that was actually something I really liked about this movie. Like I liked seeing a clear, significant size difference between the gods and the humans. I thought that was really interesting in some of the action scenes. I like it as an aesthetic choice. The only problem is when we're first introduced to to Horace, mm-hmm. we see him like in his chambers and we see like we see him get up and there's really like there's no like in any type of movie like this where you have a sizable size discrepancy between the like the characters, there's usually some expository scene like, oh, look how much smaller you are, or something like that that really just hammers ah. home the point early on in the film. Because the first time we're even introduced to this 
is he a horse wakes up after a night of like a drunk like a a heroic partying night mm-hmm. prior and we see him like stumble out and he like like goes like in his royal bath and we see like the hand like the the handmaidens sit there like bathe him and something looks off it's like wow like is he just like really like tall i have a big head yeah. or are they supposed <laughs> to be like small and it's like wait then you see uh his girlfriend goddess the love of uh, the goddess of love show up and it's like oh wait she's the same size as he is more or less except for like a couple inches and it's like oh i i i guess they're they're different sizes than the mortals which i guess is the term they use not the humans yes and so but again it's never like i'm glad that it's not said through dialogue it's it's shown to us mm-hmm. but the first time we do that there should be a little bit more of a Further defined, it should be shown sure. a little bit more. More not just like, oh, I like that they make the audience basically infer it, but it should be defined for us a little bit more clearly. Okay. And, and that doesn't sure. have to be said through dialogue. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. Um, I kind of, I think I liked it a little bit more because I, it, I didn't notice it kind of right away. You know, like like we said before, my brain probably noticed it, but then there was some of the scenes where I think um, when uh, when Guy McBoy has the eye and he goes to Horace in his like wallowing chamber or whatever. Then I started to really notice it, and I was like, "Oh man, that's that's really neat." And it kind of snuck up on me, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, cause that's when it's, I think it's at its most pronounced. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. earliest it's at its most pronounced because after we have that, uh, hor- they have the the coronation sequence. Guy McBoy and his girlfriend are talking, and he's like, um, he steals her dress because he 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 promised her the world. He promised her all these things, and he gives her the stolen dress. She doesn't seem bothered by the fact that he's a thief. She seems to be rather cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she, has, right. she, keeps, she always asks him, like, oh, did you steal this? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, okay. She's like, she's, good. That, that's what gets me hot. <laughs> <laughs> did you steal it from a shopkeeper or from someone's closet? It was quicker than waiting for the gods to answer my prayers. <laughs> um, so they go off to the coronation. And while we're there, we see all the different, like, gods show up. And they're all pretty much, like, almost, like, they're named, and we have them all. Again, I'm not going to get into the specifics of them, though. But we see Black all the Panther. Go- Black Panther's in there. <laughs> yes, Black Panther is in there, lacking the Black Panther costume. And during this coronation, it's interesting that every time we get like all the gods together, there's no humans, so it's just like, oh, that, this is what I mean by like, oh, are they the same size or mm-hmm. because like they're, they're all like when it's just them in the frame. It's really hard to differentiate. It's like, oh, I guess to save money, they just they didn't do anything differently. Yeah. So, but, but during this coronation, uh, the greatest character in the history of cinema shows up. <laughs> Gerard Butler's set. He shows up and um, he's there to congratulate Horace. And he is and- like 100% Scottish in this scene. <laughs> like 100% Scottish. <laughs> Wait. Sorry I'm late. Oh. Three days to cross the desert, and nearly one more to pass through all your admirers. Oh my God! Um, we'll get we'll get to the Gerard casting because we have to talk about that. But he shows up, and they, it's basically it plays out exactly like a Macbeth. Uh, he kills Horace's father, and they engage in a fight, like a a, a man one on one fight. They 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 do that, and then this is the part where I would love to be night for this: is they start to turn into metallic. <laughs> Yeah. God monsters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have like their their mech suits or something that they could just sprout whenever they want. <laughs> yes, a horse is obviously a bird. Set is like this quasi, like like dog like Anubis. 
Yeah, like a hell dog type of thing. Yes, and they fight, they fight. And I guess part of the Egyptian mythology is that Horus has the ability to... Uh, has eyesight that lets him never miss. Yeah, perfect eyesight. Yep, perfect eyesight. And at the end of this fight, Horace loses, and Gerard Butler uh, removes his eyes, pulls his <laughs> eyes out. because yeah. that's a thing that happens in this movie, and he bleeds gold foil from the eyes. Yeah, or technically gold paint. He 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 bleeds gold paint. Very similar to the the girl in the unsolved mysteries uh, segment. The power oh, of Miss Katie. Right. Yeah. She had the gold foil, so hers was a little more, I don't know, dried out. These people just had, like, gold acrylic paint. <laughs> yeah, basically. Maybe, maybe she's an Egyptian god. Unsolved Mysteries didn't pursue that as much as they should have. Yeah, let's get let's get back on that. <laughs> let's, let's someone, Rob, who do we have to tweet to to get a hold of Robert Stack? Uh, I was going to say we tweet just directly to Miss Katie. Oh, even better. She probably doesn't even need to be near a computer. Like, she just gets to get tweets remotely to her brain. Oh, is that part of her powers now? Probably. <laughs> How horrible. Um, uh, yeah, so we have that. Uh, we cut to a year later, and Gerard Butler is like building an obelisk to the sky. Right? Supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to praise Ra, his father. Yes, he, he is building a, a, a giant obelisk to the sky. And while this is happening, Guy McBoy's girlfriend becomes the what like assistant? Yeah, I couldn't it's get supposed to be like a secretary or something almost, it seemed, to this like master builder. Yeah, to this architect character that's like a like the, the right hand man of Gerard Butler. But the only thing that made me curious about that is that like later on in the film, the architect like tells Guy McBoy like her skin was silky smooth. And I'm like, oh, I'm like so so it was like he doing stuff with her or because they make it very clear that the goddess woman is messing around with gerard butler because she has to Mm -hmm. so i'm like oh i'm like was that was that a thing (laughs) whatever but so uh that's just the creepy line they came up with (laughs) yeah it's one of those those lines just like did you really need that like you're telling me that the scene would have been fine without that line um (laughs) So uh, we so she's in the office of the architect, and Guy McBoy shows up, and it's like I'm going to do something to reverse all this. I'm going to. They're going to escape again. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know where they're going to escape to, considering that the entire Earth is about what, like three miles in diameter. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like where are you going to escape to? It's like where is there left to escape to? Exactly. So she she tells him that Horace's eyes in Gerard Butler's vault, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she has access to the plans for the vault since she's the secretary to the architect. Yes. So he divide he's also apparently at this point he's a master thief. Yeah, he's just the greatest thief ever when the one thing we've seen him steal was that dress at the beginning and he literally makes eye contact with the shopkeeper before he steals it. Like, that is not a good thief technique. (laughs) (laughs) I also like how he steals that dress. It's like, he does, like, an Indiana Jones with, like, the golden idol. He, like, slowly, like, picks it up (laughs) off the rack as if somehow that's going to play into it. Like, the easiest thing for that guy to have done is to take, like, a a rock, throwing it, like, over the guy's head, have him turn around, just take it and swipe the dress while nobody's looking. Exactly, yep. Yeah, worst shoplifter ever. (laughs) So he decides to break into the, to Gerard Butler's thief, or, or, uh, 
vault. We have a couple. We have a really kind of cool Indiana Jones s sequence where he has to use the map to sit there, kind of beat all these booby traps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a cute scene. It's nothing that we haven't already seen before, but it's it's fun seeing that in the movie nowadays. Oh yeah, I like I like that for the most part. I was I was kind of uh, not turned off, but I thought it was hilarious that one of the last um, obstacles or booby traps that he has to overcome is just statues spinning in circles. <laughs> Like they yeah. have swords pointed out, and they're all at different level levels. But like that scene, that whole like in like Zach said, Indiana Jones style scene, it's uh it's kind of cut very quickly. And I I just kind of feel that if you saw that from a distance, like just these these statues spinning around, you'd be like, there's a clear way to get through this. Like I don't think that's just that's just like terrifying as it's made out to be. It's like if he had just stood still, he would have had an easier time. But you know, of course, they need the suspense and whatnot, where it like stops right before his throat or something like that. Yeah, I guess I, I can. It, it's cute. It's been done before, but it's always neat seeing something like that done in a modern movie. Sure, sure. Yeah, I liked when the. I think before that part I just described with the statues, what the bridge like clamps up and it's got like spikes in it or something. Like a clamps yeah. up like a giant mouth. That's yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, it's stuff like that. Like you don't you're not gonna get that in Avengers Endgame. That's that's yeah. not I think you're not gonna have a sequence where like, oh, in order to steal like an infinity stone, uh Black Widow and Captain America have to like sneak around using a map. Like that's just not gonna happen because that's considered antiquated. Exactly. He evades all the traps. He steals the one eye of of Horace that Gerard Butler has, despite the fact he has two. Yeah, only not, one is in the vault at this time. Yeah, he's only he's only one in the vault. He sneaks out with it, and as he's like going back to his girlfriend, Guy McBoy, like he's like, oh, like like I got it, and then the the architect shows up and is like, you stole something from Gerard Butler's vault. And he hands him like what, like like, like a ruby encrusted piece of jewelry, and the, the, the architect's like, "Well, now that's good." Like it's like it's like, like he now he's like, "Oh, now we have it back." And I'm like, "You're telling me out of all the things you you somehow did not know it was the glowing <laughs> eye of the god, yeah, but you knew it was this one piece of jewelry." It's like, wait, what? And so they escape. Guy McBoy and his girlfriend like run out on a chariot. The architect somehow has like a master shot in a bow and arrow. And literally yep. hits the girlfriend right in the heart. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and that's without the eye of Horace. Oh and yeah, it's it's from he's like on top of his architect's villa on the patio, and he he nails her all the way down in the street. Like they're running through the streets of Egypt or on the cart, and it's just dead on, man. Great shot. <laughs> but the thing I find most interesting about that that like sequence is that like he hits her on his very first try in the heart and he shoots another <laughs> arrow at her yeah. and it completely misses. Yeah, yeah. So like if you're that good of a shot the first time and the second one goes like far right, like <laughs> was that first one just like, like insanely lucky? Like was there like an extra like yeah. three seconds of that sequence where like the guards were like, that was an awesome shot. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have tried the other one. <laughs> and especially you hit her in the heart. What are you going to try to do next? It's yeah. like, what? So, um, uh, Guy McBoy rides off to Osiris's temple where Horus is like, like in exile Getting wallowing, drunk. yeah, wallowing in his own misery by his, his father's grave. He has a blind or, uh, what would you call it? A, yeah, a blindfold blindfold on. And he's like, Oh, like, I, I have your eye, but I want you to bring my girlfriend back to life. Mm-hmm. 
And Horace is like, don't make a deal with me, boy. And it's not, we have another really kind of cool fight where they're fighting. He's, he's blinded still, Horace. And Guy McBoy is like evading all of his attacks. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a cool little sequence. Again, nothing else that it's like, not as, as much as the things in this movie are genuinely over the top. Mm-hmm. This is a really small sequence that this is the part you really have to kind of appreciate because again you don't get this sort of fight or battle in most blockbusters. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think like I mentioned before, this is where the size difference really stood out to me, and I thought it was interesting to kind of for the film to leverage that size difference in an action scene like this. It was it was cool. Yeah, because as gonzo and over the top as this movie is, it's really nice that it knows how to be reserved at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Espe- fair point. Especially when you have a point where Jeffrey Rush is a a ponytail wearing god <laughs> on a boat in the sky fighting a giant slug monster with a uh, <laughs> uh, energy infused harpoon. Oh yeah, as, oh as yeah. Ha- as he has the sun on a fishing line. Yep, that might be my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> that might just be my favorite part of anything. <laughs> We're getting close to that, right? Yeah, we're getting pretty close to that. So Guy McBoy makes a deal with Horace saying basically, if you save my girlfriend, I'll I'll help you in your quest to like regain power. And yet this is the part I think is really cool of the movie, is that like because it does have that Egyptian mythology, Horace conjures up the the, the god of death, Anubis. Mm-hmm. And in like I loved it. I, I that's the part of this I absolutely dig. Is like I loved how Anubis looked in this. Okay. And how like Anubis isn't really like it's not really he's not really a character. He's just kind of just a Okay. I, there's no character there. I think he has to be like what one genuinely line. Like he has one genuine line oh, of dialogue yeah, yeah, where definitely. he's really kind of animated. But like they conjure him up, and she he guides her the girlfriend's spirit into the afterlife. And I'm like, that's that's cool. Again, like yes, it's expository dialogue, mm-hmm. but it's it's cool to see something like that. It's it's nice when something also on top of the fact being reserved, it can it kind of pump the brakes. So Horace and Guy McBoy. Go, I guess Horace takes Guy McBoy to go talk to his grandfather, Ra. Yep. And in order for for to access Ra, Horace has to turn into the bird mech suit in order to fly <laughs> to the heavens to go on Ra's. Oh God, what would you call this space it is, boat? It, yeah, it is a boat. It's like a yeah space boat. Probably is the best <laughs> way to put it. It's a space boat with a grand staircase. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And and so they're up on there. It's I guess we should mention that Ross played by Academy Award winning actor Jeffrey Rush. Yep, yep. Because <laughs> that's a thing that this movie does. And while they're up there, you have some really great just dialogue like that. Oh my lord! All I think all those sequences and a movie filled with over the top sequences, those somehow just dial it up to eleven. Sure. Because as they're up there, like the first thing Jeffrey Rush like doesn't Jeffrey Rush say he's like. But I usually don't let a bird land on my on my boat if it's going to crap on it. Yeah, he says something exactly like that. Yep. <laughs> we'll insert the clip here. Normally when a bird lands on my boat, I kill it before it can shit. It's very godlike. That's exactly what you expect a god to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we like he's basically like what? Um sharpening his a uh, sharpening a sword. Yeah, or a yeah, dagger. His, his uh spear, right? Is that what is it a spear? Because I don't I don't know if it's a spear though. Because oh, at that okay. I'm just I just guess I figured it was a spear because that becomes a plot point later on that he needs a spear to do stuff. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but 
we're up there, and then while we're up there, um, Horace is explaining to Ra what's happening with Set. We get a ton of expository dialogue again. Mm-hmm. And yet, while this is happening, he's like, put your mortal below deck. Why? Or else he's going to die. Yeah. They take Guy McBoy. They just throw him somehow below deck. And what I think is even more interesting, I swear this is an outtake. If you look at this point where they throw Guy McBoy below deck, he like lands in like a pile of like mattresses wrapped in plastic. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is it is like created to be safe for him. <laughs> but like I yes, it's created to be safe for him though. But like if you look at it like what it is, it looks like some like they just ran out of money in the effects department. <laughs> and it's like, oh crap. Like they just use the 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 footage without any it's like why on a god a uh, a god's space boat why is there like mattresses covered yeah. in plastic below deck? It's like exactly that doesn't make <laughs> sense. Like just like have like a little stairway that he has to climb down or something. Whatever. So while this is happening, Jeffrey Rush's Raw has the sun on a fishing line, or yeah. a, or I guess the equivalent of a fishing line for a giant space boat, as he is reeling it in from the dark side of planet Egypt that's flat. What we call it, the creature, or yeah, I, it's a space worm to me. <laughs> well, it's there's a name for its name is Apopis, which is its okay. official name in Egyptian mythology. And I remember that because I'm pretty sure there was a Yu Gi Oh card called Embodiment of Apopis. Oh, that sounds yeah, that sounds familiar. That sounds like something that could exist in the Yu Gi Oh world. Definitely, they did a whole lot of Egypt uh, inspired things. Yeah. And so I know Opopus is rooted in that sort of stuff. So Opopus, like Rob says, like a giant, like think of like this, the, the, the worms from Dune, yeah. but, big, but bigger. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah. They're world eating. <laughs> yes. And raw uses the sun on a tether to reel the space slug in only to then proceed to shoot it with the giant energy harpoon. Yes. Yes. And this is, it, it barely Seems like it does anything to to the space worm, but apparently it pisses it off, so it leaves. Yes, despite the fact he has to do this pretty much every single day, numerous times. Yeah, I, I really, I really like when after he like fought off the space worm, he Jeffrey Rush screams something like, "You will never feast on my creation," or something like that, and then he turns around and goes, "I have to do this every fucking night." <laughs> You shall never feast on my creation. Try as you might. Things would be different if I could dwell amongst my children in the Garden of Denial. It is my burden to fight the demon Apophis night after night. Egypt must never be destroyed by chaos. That's the problem with this movie. This is one of those movies that you really can't explain it with any sort of justice. Yeah, like, yeah. like, it really is. Like, you have an Oscar-caliber actor delivering the most ham-fisted dialogue <laughs> maybe ever written. Oh, yeah. So after that, Rob basically tells him, like, you have my support, but I can't help you directly, right? Yeah, basically. So Horace goes back to planet Egypt. They fly back. And they are ambushed by some of Gerard Butler's uh, creature yak warriors. People, right? At least the yak people, right? <laughs> yeah, they're like yeah, they're like yak calf people. Sure. And they engage him. They fight. They fight Horus, uh, Guy McBoy. They both like fall over the side of like numerous waterfalls. Yeah. Yep. And it it, it 
okay, I'm trying to figure out where does the plot go from here? Because at this point, it becomes essentially like a quest movie. Yeah, yeah. I think um, is the next part. They have some Guy McBoy and uh, Horace have some things to say in the jungle, and then then do we cut back to uh, Gerard Butler and the whole like the uh, the goddess of love escaping him? Is that next? Yes, but I guess we forgot the re- the main reason why he went up to go see Ra. He needed to fill a vial of the water with the waters of oh, creation. Yes. Yes, so we can put out the fire in the desert. (laughs) Rob, how can we forget filling a vial with the waters of creation to put out the fires of the desert? How can we leave that The space worm. The space worm takes so much from that scene. (laughs) Oh, my God, this movie. This movie, people. Um, So, yeah, so like Rob said, they go walking through the jungle. There's a bunch of just, like, bickering back and forth. Like, it's Mm -hmm. very much... uh, Oh, God, like, I don't want to say odd couple humor, but it's like, oh, he's a god. He's a mortal. It's like you're gonna have a friction of personalities here. Oh yeah, there's so many quips in this scene. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and so as they're they're like wandering, trying to like I guess get to the desert, which is odd considering the fact that like this entire planet's like three like miles in diameter. So you think they could walk across it in like I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, like an afternoon, but I guess that just may be misleading. So, and I think is this also when um, uh, Guy McBoy. It, it's either now or earlier that it's revealed that he's also seen the plans for that sand pyramid that he can, that has the, the desert or the fire of the desert in it. Right. Like he knows yeah. where the door is or something. Yeah. 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 He says like, Oh, I've seen all the plans somehow without ever being shown this. He somehow just has this like knowledge of all, all these yeah. things. Oh yeah. He's a plan master. <laughs> so yes, they're walking through the desert, trying to get to uh, the, the sets to temple desert place. And while they're there, they they get ambu- after the the calf man is just, is what because we cut back to Gerard Butler and it's like the, like the bleeding out calf man that's bleeding uh, gold acrylic paint yeah is like I tried master I tried he's like you didn't try hard enough and he beheads him yep and then Gerard Butler sends like two women that ride giant cobras to go after them yes because that's <laughs> the thing that happens in this movie oh yeah oh yeah. As they're in the desert, they're being like they're because at, at one point, Guy McBoy and Horace are talking like, "Oh, like what is this place? It's like an abandoned, like just like sun bleached, like like ruins of a temple." Yep. And they're like, "Oh, what's what's going on here?" And then like the two women riding the cobra show up, and I think again, it's that that part is very Clash of the Titans esque. Yes. In the sense, like you have this like like people fighting giant like creatures, and, and like Rob says, it it becomes very video game esque. Mm-hmm. In the sense of like, oh, they have to like fight these cobra creatures, and one of them. How did they kill the first one? I know they killed the second one, but how did they kill the first one? Uh, is the first one they kill the black one or the white one? The the black woman that's like piloting it. Okay. Oh, think, okay. I'm I'm thinking of the second one because the yeah. second one is the the mind control or whatever. Yeah. The first one, I don't know. Did they get it to uh, like run into an obelisk or something and like crush it? Oh yeah, yeah. I guess that's what he does. Horus, hmm. Horus leads leads them in there or leads them in there and then it's by the time the second one is that we have the moment with the uh the the goddess of love and prior to that it's like oh she's sleeping with gerard butler yeah in order to pacify him and then like she goes off into the desert to see what horace and guy mcboy are doing and somehow in an abandoned like not abandoned <laughs> but into a desolate desert space gerard butler somehow got the jump on her 
They just, I think they just chucked that up to saying that he is the god of the desert, so maybe oh. he just knows where everything in the desert is at all times. Oh, okay, so he, he can just kind of show up anywhere he pleases. I guess, but it's like, why wouldn't he just go straight for Horus then? Why go to the person looking where Horus was? I guess he doesn't take Horus seriously. I guess that's kind of the thing. Okay. I guess it's the arrogance of the villain. Okay, okay, that's so, okay. About that. So I guess pr- prior to that, we forgot to mention that Gerard Butler is on a quest. And at this point, Rob, how many times has his accent dropped out? Uh, how many scenes have we had in the movie? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good bit. I don't think the full-on Scottish... He is never 100% Scottish again, I think, as he is in the first scene. Like, it's always kind of declining. <laughs> Yeah, it ebbs and flows. But prior to him encount uh, in the in the, the the desert with the goddess of love, he goes to like find his ex-wife. Oh, who's yeah. the goddess of I don't she has a name, but she's like the goddess of having wings. And he like <laughs> leads his armies like on an attack on her palace. And he like goes in, she's like, You call it, you call it, we we once loved each other. Yeah. And he's and he has like some like quip like not anymore. And he like like she tries to fly away. He grabs her wing, like throws her back inside, chops her wings off, and then doesn't he does he decapitate her or he kills her? Right? I, I, yeah, I think so. But I think it's just a stab and then like a kick over the side of the giant palace building. Oh, okay. Because he has. But he wings, definitely always... rips off the wings. Yeah. yeah. Yes, because that becomes that becomes a key point later on. Oh yeah, and he's and he's pissed off in that scene because um because he can't have children, right? Yes, that that's why he's a little like that's a weird thing. It's like he's like they don't make like he seems to be bothered by that and they keep bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Yet there never seems to be any sort of inclination to have an heir. Yeah, yeah. And so okay, so we go back to the gods of death in the desert. He's about to kill her, and she pulls off the bracelet that Horace gave her in another exposition dump, where apparently she used to be the the mistress of death. Yes, or the emissary she... of death. Yeah, she had some role in the underworld, guiding souls through it or something like that. And somehow, in a, in a very what earlier time period, Horace was able to save her by giving her this bracelet that's like imbued with like the forty-two gems of the soul diamond or something. There's, there's some name. Yeah, she she says something like, uh, "It's it's the the bracelet that has forty-two like forty-two of the of the stones from." The 42 demons Horus had to slay to free me from the underworld or something like that. And so it keeps him at bay. Yes. And, and the, anytime she takes this thing off, she's immediately consumed by the, the underworld. Okay. I thought that was fucking so cool. Like, I think that is a fantastic idea that it's like as soon as you take this off, it's just like, boom, you're back in hell. Like, that's crazy to me. I love it. I like that too, but the only thing I, I think is a little cartoony is that when she's in like that place and she's like just perpetually falling, trying to cling for this bracelet to put it back on, hmm. it reminds me very much it's a it's a SpongeBob gag, and I think it's the one where SpongeBob, Patrick, and Squidward are kidnapped by, um, oh my god, what's his name, the pirate? Oh god, uh, oh not, the not, ghost, the ghost pirate. Yeah, the ghost yeah. pirate. Yeah, oh it, man. It, at one point, uh, Squidward's like, I, I wish I could get off here. And like, Patchy, I don't know if it's, no, Patchy's the, it's Tom Kenny in real life. But he sits there, like, opens like a zipper in, in the, like, in the, in the, not the wall, but a zipper, like, in the background. And, and like, and Squidward steps through it. And he's just perpetually falling. And there's like all this, <laughs> is, like, <laughs> like, all this, like, kind of, like, oh, demonic. Yeah. It's, it's very similar to that, where it's like, oh, okay. Again, cartoony, but that's clearly oh, what this man. movie is trying to be. Oh, oh, gee, that's very nice. Oh, what is this? Some kind of magic act? Ah! 
I love it even more now. That's a great reference. <laughs> <laughs> the Flying Dutchman. That was the pirate's yeah, name. The, the Flying, flying Dutchman. Dutchman. Yep. Gets the bracelet back on and is teleported to the point where Horace and Guy McBoy are fighting off the Cobra Monster mm-hmm. monsters. And she like engages the second one because she is the goddess of love. She's able to take any creature and like put it under her spell. Yep. Where she actually convinces it to like, she's like, you are very cold. And she actually gets it to like burn itself alive. Yeah, because these cobras can breathe fire. I don't think we mentioned that. <laughs> but it should, have, that, it should have been assumed at this point. <laughs> it, again, this is going to be the phrase of this podcast. Uh, the thing <laughs> that happens in this movie. <laughs> um, oh my God, this movie's great. It is bon- It's bonkers with a capital B. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Uh, so that happens. Uh, Horace is so is kind of delighted to see his girlfriend, but the fact that she's been sleeping with his uncle for the last year definitely rubs him the wrong way. Yep. And as they're like walking away, uh, they're I'm not they're walking, but they're, they're walking toward the. Well, at this point, they're not going to the desert, right? They're going to see Black Panther. Yeah, because I think this is when um, the goddess of love joins their team. Uh, Horace and and Guy McBoy tell him about their plan, and she's like. Oh, how are you going to solve the riddle of the Sphinx? And yes. Guy McBoy is like, you didn't tell me there was a Sphinx. And and Horace is like, you said you saw the plans. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, so they have to go get Black Panther because in this universe, whether this is before or after Black Panther and Wakanda is a thing, Black Panther is the god of wisdom, right? Of knowledge. Yes. And so they think if anybody can solve the riddle of the Sphinx, it's going to be this dude. Yes. and But while this is happening, though... Um, Guy McBoy is telling the goddess of love that like, oh, Horace is going to yeah. like bring my girlfriend back in exchange for like, like helping him get vengeance on Gerard Butler. And she's like, like giving him like all these weird looks and she proceeds to go to Horace and be like, you're lying to him. You're <laughs> promising him something that nothing, nobody can do. And he's like, well, he's immortal. He'll deal with it. And so they end up at Black Panther's house where there's hundreds of Black Panthers going around. Yeah. And, and we're introduced, well, not introduced, we see him earlier in the film, but we're really, he's given his really first scene that's where he's the focal point as he's trying to describe a, he, like a, a, what, like a stalk of romaine lettuce. Yes. He's trying to, what he says something like, he's trying to comprehend, fully understand all that is this thing. And he like holds it up and it's just lettuce. <laughs> Rich with generous compost, colorful, mainly in the green and red spectrums, variegated varieties with inflorescences composed of multiple florets, each with a modified calyx. Wise lord of the sacred word, we seek your counsel. Once a weed, uprooted and burned, now prized for the vigor of its oils and the sustenance of its leaves. What? What is its truth? I have to say, I think, even though the Gerard Butler performance is great, I loved Black Panther in this movie. Like, he sold it. I loved just how kind of bonkers his portrayal of this kind of intelligent character was. Well, I think Chadwick Boseman's, like, probably giving the most restrained performance in this movie. Okay. He definitely, I think he has, I would say he's definitely kind of the most uh, complete character to me. Yeah, like he, he's the only character that seems unique in any way. Like all the other ones. Yes, just, that's like, a good way to put it. Yeah. All the other ones are just character archetypes. Like you have heroic man, heroic boy, heroic um, woman, evil man, 
uh, uh, elder figure, we call, we call <laughs> say, elder sage figure. Space worm. Uh, <laughs> space worm. <laughs> Um, so they go to him like they basically like like Horace keeps like being like, Oh, what are you gonna do when set comes for you? What are you gonna do? This, 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 this though. And Guy Big Boy's like, You're just afraid, aren't you? You won't be able to solve the riddle. And it's like, you think that you think you're gonna question my uh my insecurities it will work? Why of course it will. And it's like, yeah. oh, and we're along our way. <laughs> um, I guess this really is a point A to B to C to D film. So they go to the, the Set's temple in the desert to quench the fires of the desert. Yeah. Because <laughs> that has a line of dialogue that's said at least two times. And they go there and it's like this, oh God, like a Rubik's Cube of like a pyramid? Yeah, yeah. It's um it's definitely um what do they call it? I think they call it um like the sand or the shifting sand pyramid. Now that's probably not right because that's just the level from Super Mario sixty four shifting sands. So, but it is a pyramid made of sand blocks that shift around. <laughs> close enough. And so, like Horace is like asking Guy McBoy, like, "Oh, you know which you know which way to get in, right?" And he's yeah. like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, that one." And like, in like one of like the two boulders like slam, slam shut. And he's like, "Uh, uh," and he just takes like a running dive into the first gap he can find, and that yes. just happens to be the entrance. Yep, and yep. it's like, oh, okay, I guess. Ooh, good, good job. <laughs> <laughs> See, the movie's very efficient in that sense. It's not going to waste our time with with moments like that. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no steps to, like logical deduction of how, how where they can no, get through. You know, no, it's just basically like uh, close your eyes and hope for the best. <laughs> yep. So. I, how did the other three get in? Is it explained how he gets the other the other yeah. gods in? So once once Guy McBoy gets into the pyramid, it's still like shifting around so the gods can't get in. But he has to go and in that pyramid, he finds some wheel that he like turns and it turns off the shifting stuff. Okay, I I, I didn't pick up on that. I think I think that's like right before he jumps in to like the entrance or you know what he thinks is the entrance, what he hopes is the entrance. He says something like, "There's a wheel I need to turn." That'll stop the sand from moving, and then you guys can come in, and we can do the rest of the plan. That's the thing. This film does. I don't think this film has an ounce of fat on it. Yeah, that that's that's true, and that's one of the things I think you know why I enjoyed it so much, or why you know uh, it was I was along for the ride because it never like got bogged down too badly. Yeah, it never slows down. They're there. They see the the fire, which is basically just a hole in the ground, mm-hmm. and. Horace is about to pour the the waters of creation into it, and Gerard Butler shows up. Well, we have the Sphinx before that, right? Oh yes, okay, yeah, right yeah. before because they I think they see the um the the fire of the desert, which I think I'm remembering very vaguely that there might be a line that says the fire of the desert is like a tunnel to the core of the earth. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so they they're gonna put that out. That seems bad, <laughs> but anyway. Yes, yeah, so they they have the Sphinx, and they have to have Black Panther solve the riddle of the Sphinx, and we get a little action scene with that as well. Well, the thing that's interesting, the thing that's fun about that sequence is that every single time Black Panther gets it wrong, Horus has to get in his way to take the physical blow. Like every yeah, time, yeah. he has to he has to block the blow for Thoth, Black Panther, and and so they he gets it what on the third try? I think so. Yes. We'll, we'll insert the riddle clip here with the, what the riddle is in the, in the question. Or yeah, I, don't the answer. Remember the, I don't remember the riddle, but I think the answer was tomorrow. Spoiler alert. Just Papa's announced the king. Also, my riddle or cease to be. Go on. I'm waiting. I never was. 
always to be. No one ever saw me, nor ever will. And yet I am the confidence of all who live and breathe. What am I? <laughs> and, and so they get past the Sphinx. The Sphinx just kind of like has a moment like once they saw the riddle, it's like, oh crap. And it just dissolves into sand. Yep. And they go. This is where they do go to the, uh, the the fire of the desert, and they're about to put it out. And Gerard Butler shows up out of nowhere, and yeah, I think guys, he says something like, "Like I know when people are invading my like my source of my power, you know, like it's very easily efficiently explained once again, like why he knows they're there." Yeah, and he basically like like uh, Guy McBoy's on the verge of pouring it in. And Gerard Butler's like he can't bring your girlfriend back. Yeah. You know? nobody has the power to do that. And obviously, it's enough of a distraction that he's able to knock it away from Guy McBoy and he steps on the little vial. And uh, he rips Black Panther's crystal brain out. Yeah, he yeah he yeah he rips crystal, <laughs> yeah. My other my other favorite scene from this movie. I remember when I was watching this, I was like, "Is he really gonna rip his brain out?" And then it was like this crystal blue brain. I was like, "That's that's just great." <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that happens in this movie. So at that point, the temple's like about to collapse, and Horus, a goddess of love, and Guy McBoy sit there, like r- like run out. And at this point, we have like the thing where you promised to bring my girlfriend back, and it's like, well, I lied. And they have like a bickering back and forth until the goddess of death, because the whole thing is that she doesn't have any treasure, right? Yes, she, yeah, yeah. Because this is something I didn't fully understand about this movie, but you know. Uh, add it to the list um when gerard butler becomes king in like the very first scene i think he proclaims to all of egypt he's like you need to buy your way into the afterlife and then that's the rule that's like they're like you need treasure to get into the afterlife but then i guess not to get too far ahead of ourselves Horus at the end of the movie is like no you get in with good deeds so it's literally up to whoever's king is how you get into the afterlife I'd be like, you need a seriously sexy breakdance routine to get into the afterlife. <laughs> like, that's going to be on your scale with the feather, you know? <laughs> well, I, that, that kind of blew me away. It's just like, these people get to proclaim what grants passage into the afterlife, and Anubis and shit listen to them. <laughs> well, I guess that's part of the Egyptian mythology. That the king could do that, or the pharaoh could do yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think oh. I think that was part. I, I, I'm not an expert on that. Uh, neither but, am I, but we should look in to see what some of the craziest stuff it took to get into uh, the afterlife. <laughs> oh, because that was the thing the pharaohs used to do. Remember, they used to like, bury, bury themselves with all their treasures for... Oh, yeah, yeah, so they could take it with them, yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it's supposed to be, whether that can, how accurate the film is versus our limited understanding of this stuff. Uh, but yes, we should have mentioned that earlier on. This is a very dense film, folks. <laughs> Who would have thought Gods of Egypt, where we have giant uh, mech suit bird and dog people, is a very dense film. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and so we have that. And this is one of the parts of the movie that I, th- I think this is the part in the movie where I absolutely fell in love with it. Okay. Whereas we like the whole time the girlfriend's like on the path of the afterlife, where oddly enough, when you're about to go to the afterlife, there's actually a queue. <laughs> like you have to wait in line. Like, you have to wait days in line to go to yeah. the afterlife. Yeah, if you uh if you thought, you know, you weren't patient in real life, wait till the afterlife. <laughs> Time goes slower. So we so like we have this sequence where like we see like like two people we see like oh my god, I don't even know how to describe it. Like imagine the, like the Harry Potter 
like Gringotts Bank with all the <laughs> the goblins. Yeah. But replace the goblins with like mummified pharaohs. Yeah, they reminded me of some of the uh, Lord of the Rings or maybe the Hobbit movies when Gandalf has to fight some of those like ancient decrepit skeletons. Made me think of that. I, I, I've never seen the Hobbit movie, so I can't okay. attest to that. You're lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> I know. It's like nine hours. You see two people prior to Guy McBoy's girlfriend. Like mm-hmm. one of them is like, like has like, a, like all like the jewels and stuff and like rubies. He puts it on the scale. He gets in. Then we see like another. Yeah, all the, the line that he has, but he like, cause, cause there's, it's basically you have to walk the plank into the afterlife. And so he walks the plank after he puts his gold and jewelry down and like the brilliant white light comes up and he's getting sucked into it. And he's like, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> and it's so great the way he's like, that's what he says is oh, it's awesome. <laughs> that's the thing. He, as he's entering the afterlife, he literally says, I'm going to live forever. Yeah. <laughs> I shall live forever. And then, like, behind him, we see kind of, like, this pauper woman, and all she has is, like, what? Like, a brass ring? What does she have? Like, a button? Came off her shirt or something? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it, like, right? Like, it is, like, it's, it's like, a know-nothing trinket. Yeah, if if it's not a button, which is honestly what I thought it was and what I wrote in my notes, it's probably, like, one coin. Well, again, it's, I think it's meant to be something sentimental, because I'm I'm almost certain it's a ring. Okay, okay, gotcha. And I think it's meant to be, like, it has value to her. Like, she is giving something of value. It's just, like, it's not, oh, God, gaudy value. Yeah, it's not gaudy value. Mm -hmm. And I I, because, again, it's really cool because you have, again, the pharaohs, whatever you want to call them. And oddly enough, I'm not sure how much Rob knows about his uh, um, Mad Max history, but the guy that was in Mad Max, the Road Warrior, the second one. Okay. Is this, who was, like, the, the gyrocopter pilot. Oh, okay. That was him. Is like like the one like the, the lead pharaoh that's like the mummified one. Oh that's shit! Like, really? Up next, yeah. Man, wow, cool. Yeah, I, I saw that in the credits. I'm like, oh, that's neat. Um, but yeah, so we so the, the 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 pauper woman gets like what like obliterated or like disintegrates. Yeah, she uh, she gets sucked up, but into the darkness, which is worse than getting sucked up into the light. <laughs> She's not gonna live forever. She, yeah, she. I think she just has like a terrible banshee scream when she gets uh, disintegrated, right? Something like that. Pretty much. And at this point, oh, it's it's Guy McFace's girlfriend's turn, and she has nothing. She doesn't even have a button. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, because they someone stole her necklace earlier in the movie, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing I thought that was interesting, though, is that like she dies with her necklace. Yet somehow, afterwards, uh, Gerard Butler finds it. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Like, whatever. I, who knew, again, who knows what this movie's rules are for what comes with you in the afterlife? Um, or, I guess, the road to the afterlife. Your jewelry so, doesn't, but your clothes do. <laughs> <laughs> your pendant doesn't, but yeah. your gaudy jewelry does. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Afterlife uh, TSA is just horrible. <laughs> I think it's just Anubis. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I guess Anubis is really busy. So at this point, because the goddess of death, I'm sorry, the goddess of love was a former emissary of death. She summons Anubis and is mm-hmm. like, can you please transport Guy McBoy and please have him deliver this bracelet as a, a offering to get her into the into the afterlife? And he's like, of course, whoever, a goddess. Yeah. And she immediately gets sucked into the netherworld of the force. <laughs> and and 
he gets transported. Anubis brings her to interact with his girlfriend, Guy McBoy. There was something I found so funny about how travel from like the real world to the after or the underworld works. Because what like specifically in the scene we're describing with Guy McBoy and Anubis, they like they like flush themselves into the underworld. They like spin around in place and they go into the sand. And I, thought, I just thought that was so funny to me. Yeah, yeah, basically, they basically they swirl downward yeah. to the ground. Yeah, I just thought about that imagery, and that's what leads you to the underworld. It was great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he presents her with the bracelet, and but it's at this this is a part this is a part, okay this is one of those things I also love in movies. I love movies with rules. Mm-hmm. Because it's at this point, because uh, Guy McBoy tries like to touch his girlfriend, and they can't because obviously they're on two p- different planes of existence. Yeah. And yet, while this is happening, I guess we should bring up that Gerard Butler has. Oh God! There's so much in the movie we've left out at this point. Are we are we up to the point where he goes and yells at Ra because he can't have no. children? Well, yes, but there's even a point prior to that that we left out. Hmm. Which one? Is that between when the goddess of love gives the the the, the bracelet to Guy McBoy, we see Gerard Butler like in a oh my lord, what would you even call it? Like a manufacturing plant. Yes, and I know what you're in, talking about. He's in his dog mech suit. They are forging his wife's wings onto him. They are installing Black Panther's bluey gold brain. Yeah, and they're like chiseling into his forehead. Horse's other eye. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that happens in this movie. Oh yeah, he's getting upgrades. <laughs> Basically, like like again, like a video game. Oh yeah, that's his. Not even his final form. <laughs> so we see that, and I guess to fast forward a little bit, then we see him. He literally because now he has wings. I guess we should worth prior like his first fight with Horace. Horace has wings. Mm-hmm. Gerard Butler doesn't. Yeah, remember that's very. It's gonna be very important. Horace wings, Gerard Butler no wings, and Gerard Butler flies up to to Ra and is like, "Why did you do this? Why why are you letting things like like why did you like why did you send me into the desert in, in exile? Why did you not grant me the ability to have offspring?" Yeah, and Jeffrey Rush with a a huge ass ponytail (laughs) tells him like, Oh, I don't want, didn't want you to suffer because you're going to eventually have to take my place. And Gerard Butler has a great moment where again, like Rob says, the Scottish accent ebbs and flows once again in and out (laughs) this delivery. Um, it's like, I'm not going to sit there, fight this giant worm all day. Like you have, or or fight this worm for eternity. Yeah. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Another line of dialogue that is said in this film. You expect me to joust with this beast night after night (sighs) until I die it's at this point that like I guess we should point out that every time Raw fights the giant like space worm he like enlarges by like four times his normal size oh yeah he he gets all jacked up (laughs) he gets he gets swole yo (laughs) and he does that to Gerard Butler he takes his like Energy harpoon out, shoots Gerard Butler. Is shocked that like Gerard Butler is somehow able to uh, withstand that blast. He's like, "No god could withstand that." And Gerard Butler says, "Maybe the greatest line of the entire movie: I'm not just one god anymore." 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, it's so cheesy. Like there is like it is so cheesy. I'm surprised it's not getting moldy. <laughs> and no god could withstand that. I'm not just one god. He takes out like a sword, stabs Jeffrey Rush's raw. And like it floats, and he like floats away from his giant space boat. Mm-hmm. And then we see Gerard Butler be like, Space worm! Yeah. Attack! Attack the rivers of creation, space worm! Yeah, doesn't he, he, he like stand, Gerard Butler like gets on top of that big obelisk he was building earlier, and he's just like shooting the thing up in the sky, and the space worm just appears. Oh, it's, it's everything I wanted. <laughs> and, the, and the space worm starts to like literally drink the, like the river. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's doing a. It's doing the Nile like it's a line of coke. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it made me think of when I was watching. I was like, this space worm is literally snorting the world right now. (laughs) Basically. And so at this point, we cut back to like Anubis. And because apparently during this confrontation between Ra and Gerard Butler, it's like, how are you going to become immortal? Like we all have to die eventually. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the second greatest line of dialogue... In the film, Gerard Butler says something akin to, I'm going to become immortal. And, and Jeffrey Rush, in his most Oscar voice ever, is like, <laughs> You will consume human. Like, it's like, it will, you're going to consume immortality or consume, like, you'll have to consume the netherworld. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God. And so <laughs> at this point, going back to what I was trying to say with like loving rules, I love the idea, like, in this world, there is a path to immortality, but it involves a space worm. Eating the like the afterlife. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's like, it's pristine. The all of it, all of these little steps we've taken to get here, and now this is how we get to describe this film. Beautiful. <laughs> oh yes, and and like I said, that's where I love the rules of this world because like as soon as this happens, like the giant like way like. Oh god, like the wall of despair where like the afterlife is, whether you uh you chose wisely or didn't. Mm-hmm. Like Anubis like sprints toward the wall and does like a Jedi force push. He's like <laughs> holding the wall like against itself somehow, like using the force. Yeah. And like he like turns around to Guy McBoy. It's like, you better tell your friend Horace to hurry up, or else there won't be anything left. There won't be an afterlife for your girlfriend to go to. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I love the idea. Like I said, that's the kind of thing. I love it when like characters have to like do things like that. Somehow, without the help of Anubis, Guy McBoy returns back to the real world. That's not explained. That somehow he's able to get back. Horace sees, like, like again, Gerard Butler's on top of the obelisk, shooting the giant energy harpoon into the sky, <laughs> and he's like, "We have to stop Gerard Butler. He's going to destroy the world." And they're like, "But how are we going to get to Egypt? So, or yeah, get to Egypt so fast?" Mm. And they're like, or whatever the city's name is, and they're like, "I don't know." And then like. Oh god, like what would you like a chariot that's carried by like birds just appears yes. out of nowhere? Yeah, this is, is like, like this is James and the giant peach style transportation, <laughs> like where they get all the seagulls to fly the peach somewhere. There's like a million birds carrying this chariot. <laughs> and it's also very like again, going back to Lord of the Rings Escort, it just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like it's like, wait, how'd it get here? Even in the afterlife, the goddess of love is helping us. It's like, wait, she she has control over that? Wait, huh? Oh, yeah, she doesn't even have to look at the birds to send them places now. <laughs> no, somehow somehow she became more powerful in, in this world. Like, I don't know. Like compared to what, like considering what we saw earlier, where she's just being like torn apart 
by like all these like demon creatures. You'd think she wouldn't have that sort of power anymore. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Whatever. So we we go. They they fly back to the city. They kidnap Gerard Butler's architect. They have him take them take him up take them both up on what an elevator yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) because that's the thing apparently the giant obelisk in the sky has an elevator (laughs) and they get up there and eventually i forget like i guess the architect like does something that like makes the elevator stop or no horace jumps out and once horace is no longer there to protect guy mcboy the Mm -hmm. architect starts to fight with him that's where we get the really creepy line of dialogue like your girlfriend had soft skin i like touching it yeah and it's like oh and then like it causes guy mcboy to start fighting him and yet one of the more baffling sequences in this film which is saying something considering what happens in this movie they're 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 they illuminate the elevator by having like what like a fire pit and and the architect deliberately knocks it over and sets the elevator that's being (laughs) held by rope so like oh that seems extremely short-sighted like if you don't you don't kill him you're gonna probably die in the process too yeah yeah and then doesn't then he doesn't he reveal that he has like a gold chest plate on or something like that and he's like i'm gonna he's like i'm gonna be rich in the afterlife no matter what haha yeah he's like you chose the poor the wrong god and it's like he because because Guy McBoy tries punching him in the chest and basically like punches like like a solid like inch of gold with like yeah. rubies and and jewels, and it's like okay. And then eventually like the ropes like catch on fire and they just like burn off and the architect falls down. Is Guy McBoy like hangs onto one of the ropes that's still like attached to the ceiling? And mm-hmm. It's like didn't choose the wrong god now, did I? Yeah, another uh, one liner. <laughs> At this point, we have like a one-on-one fight because Horace like climbs up the side of the obelisk where Gerard Butler is still on top of it. Yeah, um, shooting the energy harpoon into the sky, and they have like what, like a fist fight, basically. Yeah, yeah, they have their fist fight, and then um, uh, boy, guy McBoy shows up eventually, and they turn into their mech suits at some point. It's just crazy. <laughs> There's a giant worm in the background. <laughs> like, like, again, I want everyone to put this into context. The climax of this film is on your, like... Oh, God, they say how tall the giant obelisk is, right? They say it's, like, what, like, 6,000 cubics tall, or... Yeah, they do Yeah, they do measure it in cubits, yep. It's this giant structure. Guy, Mc, Guy McBoy distracts Gerard Butler enough... That he's able to get pull out a knife, pull Horace's eye out of Gerard Butler's dog mech suit suit. Yeah. And as Because you can do that when you're immortal. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can do that apparently. That's a thing that happens in this movie. And at because Gerard Butler, like, I guess in anger, like takes Guy McBoy and throws him like off the obelisk. And as he's falling, he throws the the eye to Horace. Yep. And, and Horace has to make a decision between being selfish and go for the eye or save Guy McBoy. <laughs> and obviously, because at this point, Horace has learned his lesson not to be like vain and self-absorbed. He goes for Guy McBoy, like grabs him before he falls off the side of the bill of the obelisk. And the whole time I'm wondering, like, why couldn't Guy McBoy just hang on to it? So when Horace grabbed him, they could they, he could have it all at once. Exactly. Why did <laughs> you have to throw it in another direction? But anyway. Yeah. So uh, Gerard Butler has his uh, energy harpoon starts melting his obelisk to the point where it like starts like to melt onto Horace. They have to let go, and as they're falling, Horace gains the power. I guess he he had the power the entire time, much like He Man. He had the power. 
and he turns into the the bird mech suit with only one eye. He uh, catches Guy McBoy somehow during this fight with uh, Gerard Butler. Guy McBoy got like stabbed in the abdomen abdomen by like a uh, yeah that's some right. some blade. I don't think it's it's really defined, but like I guess he stabbed. Uh, Horace puts him on the ground and then proceeds to fly back up and engage with Gerard Butler. We have a dog fight basically between the Birdman mech suit and the Dogman mech suit <laughs> yeah. as they fly throughout the city, just like attacking each other. Because that's a thing that happens in this movie. <laughs> like Rob said, while we have a giant space slug drinking uh, drinking the planet, <laughs> the planet. Yeah. Um, we have a fight. Eventually, something something happens. Horace. Causes the obelisk to collapse onto itself, crushing Gerard Butler. Mm-hmm. And we see Gerard Butler start to like bleed out in like extremely gold acrylic paint, paint glory. Yeah. As like, we see like a smear of paint on the floor. And uh, <laughs> Horace has uh, Gerard Butler's energy harpoon. And he's like, I showed you mercy once. Will you show me mercy? And, Ger- and, and Horace is like, that was my first mistake. It literally just like zaps him in the brain, like yeah. zaps him in the face. Yeah, it's great. Um, at this point, uh, he brings Jeffrey Rush raw his harpoon because apparently the the blade uh, what Gerard Butler did didn't kill Jeffrey Rush. It just kind of like temporarily stuns him, mm-hmm. Made or him indefin- float out in space for a little bit. Yeah, he basically is like indefinitely stunned. Jeffrey Rush once again like fights off the giant space worm. <laughs> and and Horace goes back to like the bleeding out Guy McBoy, and um, Guy McBoy dies, and he bring he takes the body of Guy McBoy. I guess it, we should also mention like a little girl finds Horace's other eye and gives it to him. Yeah, thankfully, because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were all concerned about at this point in the film. That Horace got his second eye back. Yeah, I'm glad that little girl was able to get in right to you know the base of that obelisk, but get out with the eye. Before it collapsed onto itself. <laughs> and was able to locate Horace immediately. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, but to be fair, how do you, how do you miss a giant mech suit bird, man? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> um, how do you get distracted by anything when that's in the picture? So <laughs> Horace brings the, the corpse of Guy McBoy to be with his girl and his, with his girlfriend in his father's temple. I guess we should mention that Horace's mother commits suicide out of shame. Oh yeah, because that's a thing that. that happens in this movie. <laughs> that's a thing that just kind of breezed over in the uh, hundreds of thousands, in the thousands of lines of dialogue in this. Yep. Um, and while they're in the temple, Rosh comes down to the temple and like tells Horace, like I, I've never owed any any creature a, a debt before, but you are the first person to ever do this, and. He goes, what do you want in return? And Horace goes, I don't want anything. Yet, next thing we know, Guy McBoy is being brought back to life. Yep. Along with the yep. girlfriend. Mm. And everything's kind of hunky-dory. We, we, we go back. like We, we like, flat, like, like fast forward. We're having another coronation for Horace. The Guy McBoy and his girlfriend are there. Yep. And uh, Black Panther was brought back to life somehow. <laughs> Yeah, they Somehow, put his brain back in. <laughs> I guess. I guess that's how it works. It's kind of like I guess he's almost the brain's still operative, even though if you think about it, he shot Gerard Butler in the face. Yeah, <laughs> where the yeah. brain is supposed to be. So uh, <laughs> it's anybody's guess what the rules of this universe are. The guy McBoy is now like top advisor to Horace now that he's king of Egypt, and. Uh, Guy McBoy presents the bracelet. I guess. I guess somehow the girlfriend brought that back from the from the 
the the queue of the afterlife somehow yeah <laughs> somehow and he's like oh i could never how could i misplace this this object and he's like horse is like you think the people of egypt would miss me and it's like i don't think so <laughs> and he's like well i'll leave you in charge of egypt really yeah and then we see horse turn into the mech suit birdman again as he like does like spider-man-esque level like choreography and like yep. flips and dips and we cut to black end of movie Yep, that is that is it. <laughs> that is a movie that actually exists and cost $140 million. Oh man. Like I said before, good fun. Good fun in watching this one. Yeah, like that's that's the this is the type of movie I absolutely love that I feel we really don't get anymore. Well, I can't say that because like Alita exists, so I, I really can't say that for right now. But it is that type of just like I love action adventure films. I love it when I can say I went on not I can say, but I love it when you can say you went on an adventure with the characters. Yeah, sure. And, and again, you, you don't get that in movies really for the most part, because it's like, oh, we have to have it's it has to be epic it has to be captain mm. america or black widow like it's like again not to keep bringing those characters up they're kind of like the the movie equivalent of ariana grande when i talk about music they're just <laughs> my punching bag it's like you just don't get that it's like i wish a marvel movie would do something like this where it's like i want to be on an adventure yeah and, yeah and i think some of the marvel movies do that like i think like captain america the first avenger does that but, like, you don't get that in, like, modern blockbusters. And I guess there's a reason why between this flopping, Alita flopping. Mm-hmm. I, guess that's just, I guess that's just not a thing that's popular anymore. Yeah, could be. Could be. No, I agree with you. This was kind of, um, you know, like you said it before, uh, I think near the middle of a movie, you know, this is basically like a quest movie. And you get to go on that adventure with the characters. And it was certainly refreshing to see one. Uh, because I haven't in a while, but also one that was this quickly paced, because that was able to keep my interest for sure. So I'm thinking back to like other movies of this sort, like Clash of the Titans, mm-hmm. Immortals with Henry Cavill. It's those movies are or even 300. Okay. You, you look at these types of movies, and like with Clash of the Titans, Immortals 300, there's an over the top violence to them. Yes, and there's also a very like grittiness. I think like Clash of the Titans is not a realistic movie. Mm-hmm. It, there's like this weird sort of just like grittiness to it. Yeah, yeah. It's and I know Rob doesn't like the fact that this movie is so uh, over the top lit. Like it, everything, like all, everything is glowing. The characters yes. glow. The the sets glow. The backgrounds glow. And in today's blockbuster culture, it's so it's such a norm to hide everything in shadows and darkness because that's how you save money. Mm-hmm. I, I love movies that are properly lit. Like that's kind of like when I complain about things like last week with Watchmen. I'm like, oh, if only I could actually see the fight between the comedian and Adrian Veidt. Sure. Because half of it's in shadows. I love that you have a movie like this and everything is is in like everything's in focus and everything I can see everything. Okay, fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah you definitely you can see it all in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's one thing you gotta give this movie credit for. Is that it costs one hundred and forty million dollars. Yeah, every penny of that budget is on the screen. Okay, gotcha. I remember this when the movie came out, and I didn't follow it too closely. But it's like it takes up the largest section on Wikipedia. Is that a a lot? Well, the media, not people. Not people didn't see this and complain about it. Mm-hmm. But the media attacked attacked this film for its whitewashing. Oh, okay, okay. I should have saw that coming. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like, oh, how can you make a movie about ancient Egypt and not ca- not cast any Egyptian actors? Never mind, have the cast be almost entirely white. Yeah, it's Scottish. 
Um, and it's like, I know like Alex Proya and some of the actors were like really outspoken and like, what do you want from us? Like we're making an action adventure film. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not meant to be realistic. Yeah, that's a good point. This movie is definitely kind of set in its own universe with the whole, you know, Ra and the space worm and the, just the flat, flat world of Egypt. Yeah. This is definitely not a, a historical piece in any way, shape or form. Yeah, but like you can't again. Once the media decides to make you a target, there's no, there's as Rob and I have discussed off mic numerous times. uh, The media (laughs) claims victories by how many people it destroys, Mm -hmm. and this was another example of it. Like, oh, we're just going to attack this movie for this. And it's like, and I know, again, the director, Alex Proya, was like really outspoken, which, again, when you attack the media, like, it's good. I, I like it when people attack the media. But he was just like, what do you want from me? Like, this is meant to be like a crazy, bonkers world. And I know even um, wh- whoever played Horace, the guy with the three names, who Rob was right. It was Jamie Lannister. From, yeah, Jamie uh, Lannister. From, yeah. From Game of Thrones. Even he was like, it's, it's meant to be a fictitious movie. Like, come on. Like, if you walk out of this movie and that's your biggest complaint, I think we did our jobs for the most part. And But again, the media, the media decides that the social issues could be the only thing that's going to be talked about. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so would you say um, that that is, uh, had a big impact on why this was a failed blockbuster? Um, I don't think, I, well, the problem is that like this movie only has like a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Which baffles me when something, like, this is the problem with the media though. Uh, the the media like going back infamously to like Ghostbusters twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. it was you if you you can go look at any of the reviews for that movie and like most of the critic like you actually read the review it's like oh the comedy is stale uh, the performances are really just kind of like uh, the actors are sleeping through it okay and you do this so it's like it's like it's, it's a really negative review and you look at the final results like oh a minus. And it's like, wait, mm-hmm. what? And the reason why they were doing it is so that, oh, when Rot- when they post their review on Rotten Tomatoes, it would be a positive score for the film. Okay. And that's and, and that's currently it's even happening right well. As of recording this, it's happening right now with like Captain Marvel. People were like leaving uh, okay, how do I explain this? Um, Rotten Tomatoes for a movie that hasn't been released yet has a feature called like, oh, how many people want to see this movie? Okay. And you can decide like, oh, I want to see this or no, I'm not interested. And because of the whole thing that's surrounding Brie Larson, her saying that like, oh, uh, white people shouldn't be able to review movies that are made for like uh, people of color. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I think she made the comment like white people shouldn't be allowed to review A Wrinkle in Time. That was her comment. Like white people should not be allowed to review that movie. It's not made okay. for them. Um, so what people, cause a lot of people are like, Marvel, why aren't you putting a muzzle on her? Like Marvel is again, Marvel Disney is known for, if you say one thing out of line, you get put, in, you get put in the box. Yeah. And the fact that they're letting her do this and they're not stopping her from doing it means like, okay, Marvel is trying to, to try to dip their toe into that world of mm. politically correct culture, which Marvel surprisingly, the MCU is not in that world. It is not a politically correct movie world yeah and um and so what people were doing with rotten tomatoes they were leaving saying like i'm not interested in this movie and because because the brand has to be protected rotten tomatoes has now disabled that feature on its website rotten tomatoes disabled that feature now because people were deliberately kind of uh, leaving i'm not interested in this movie so like originally okay. it was like it was like 85 percent people wanted to see captain marvel and i think the last time anyone took a screen cap of it before they took the feature down it was down to like 27 percent mm, man so that's the problem that like things like rotten tomatoes have become weaponized so yeah. what the, like and bring this back to gods of egypt it's that like oh critics 
decided we're not going to, like, we don't want this movie to succeed. Again, it's again, the media wants to pick and choose winners. And so what we're going to do, it doesn't matter if this is just a goofy, fun movie. We are going to attack it for this reason. And there are a lot of idiots out there that base their movie going decisions on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, gotcha. And that's the problem. Like, this is a goofy, fun film. Yet there'll be somebody out there that will. We hopefully that will hear this podcast and go check it out. But mm-hmm. there are people out there that will hear us talk about this for ninety minutes and be like, "Oh, it has a fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes." Next, I'm I'm, I'm gonna binge watch. Oh God, what's the new current popular thing on Netflix? Um, it's just always The Office, isn't it? <laughs> the last thing I <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, what was that last thing? It was like Sandra Bullock, like Breadbox. Oh, oh yeah, like, Bird Box. The blind yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, I'm gonna like, I'm not gonna watch Gods of Egypt. I'm gonna watch Breadbox with her walking around with a blindfold on for two hours. Yeah, and, I and see what I, you're saying. It's like that's the problem. Is that like, oh, again, the, the media is going to pick. That's the problem. Is that it doesn't matter if the if the content is any good. It's just the media decided we are going to destroy this, and anything short of destruction will not be tolerated. Yeah, and I and I think uh, I I totally agree with what you're saying. You know where. It's kind of that that negative word of mouth or negative reviews are going to always have more of an impact on people and causing them to not see something when it really is more of, you know, it is aggregated and you should kind of make these decisions for yourselves. And and, you know, it's all an experience. You got to go for it. But you're right. People just want to watch The Office constantly on Netflix. People just want to watch the same thing over and over again. And, that, and don't be wrong. Yeah. We, we're all guilty of that. We're creatures of habit. But the thing that's just so disheartening, though, is, again, you have, uh, like, you're not going to get another $140 million film like this. Mm-hmm. That, that's never going to happen. And it's like, appreciate it. It's like, oh, my God. Because I know this is one of those films that, like, every Black Friday, it shows up, like, severely discounted. <laughs> okay. Like, you can get – because when 3D was popular – I guess we should point out to this was released in 3D, mm. which I'd love to see. Which I just, again, part of the seeing this in IMAX would have been fun to see this in IMAX 3D. Yeah, 3D Space Worm. Yeah, 3D Gerard Butler. <laughs> and and uh, his accent's coming right at me. <laughs> uh, the accent, the screen has more dimensions than his voice does. <laughs> That's basically Gods of Egypt. I like the film, so I have a hard time explaining it. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard to dissect things that you actually like. It's. I think it's the clearest cut examples. Like when I tell somebody I love Gon, like I, I tell. I, I know I talk about it on the Star Wars podcast, but like I love Gonzo cinema. Yep. And like how we've talked before about like doing something like like how a movie can be surreal versus like what like what does that really mean a surreal film? Mm-hmm. Like this is a Gonzo film. Like this is like when I think like, somebody said like oh Zach like you keep talking about Gonzo cinema what is Gonzo cinema this is the purest form of Gonzo cinema yeah it's really uh, definitely I have to agree completely because this is just you know just from our discussion I think the way that we talk about this movie the way I felt when I was watching it it's just kind of like you know I'm I'm happy that it happened but I will always be baffled by the string of events that followed and led to. The existence of this movie. And I appreciate it. And I always will. Like, Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall. Like in the first meetings for this. And someone's trying to explain it. Yeah. yeah, Definitely. See what they uh, spiked the uh, Kool-Aid with. To get everybody to comply. <laughs> like Rob. Considering you're the avid drug user here. How much coke do you have to do to write a script like this? <laughs> you have to do. Uh, I think whoever wrote this script. 
put themselves in the place of the space worm sucking <laughs> up the, the sucking up the waters of creation. That's probably what happened. They were just like in the writer's room for this and someone just did like a huge line of coke and went, I just took in the waters of creation! And then they just, you know, bam, they got the script. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to be on the, I want to be on a fly, I want to be a fly on the wall for that, and I also <laughs> want to be there for the very first time they show the film to the executive. Oh, of, yeah. Of the studio. And, and the executive <laughs> just slowly starts, like, pulling their hair out. Every time, every time Gerard Butler talks, the, the executive just pulls another hair, like, want a hair out of their head. Yeah. Like, how did this get through? <laughs> <laughs> Why did nobody try correcting him? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I guess I should point out, too, like, watching the behind-the-scenes stuff for this, there's a scene where the director is trying to tell Jeffrey Rush to do something is raw, and mm-hmm. Jeffrey Rush just passes right by him and goes, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> like, Jeffrey Rush couldn't have been further... Like, if, if there ever... Again, a clear example of an actor doing a job for a paycheck. Mm. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, sure, buddy. I'll get right on it. <laughs> it's great. It's great. The director's like, okay, what we want you to do next, Jeffrey, is... He literally just walks right past him. He's like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. And someone had the gall to put that in the bonus features. <laughs> oh, Man, that's that, that, that fun. That one onset encounter kind of encapsulate, encapsulates the entire film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob, cinematic and or late night movie. Ah, uh, yes, the real questions. And I think it's no surprise that I'm going to have to go with a hard yes, a gold-plated yes on both. This is certainly a cinematic. I think for all the reasons we discussed, um, I think I have the extra... Uh, layer to it or maybe not extra but a different layer than zach does where i think a lot of this movie looks goofy and that adds to it for me um i'm fully on board with cinematity and for all the same reasons i would certainly hope to show this to somebody late at night because because i i think i could sell this movie and then once once people are invested it'll be too late and they'll have to (laughs) see the whole thing and that that's once you get to the ending with the space worm and and all that stuff, it's it's great. They're going to be enthralled. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Definite cinematity for all the aforementioned reasons. Late night movie, yes. I, again, I think this is in the same ballpark as Alita, where you could show this pretty much anybody. Okay. Like, there's no sex. There's really no like gory violence, or I guess mm-hmm. uh, red blood violence. There's a lot of yeah. unless your kid your kids are sensitive to gold acrylic paint blood. That, or cr- then, crystal brains getting ripped out. <laughs> well, okay, it has to be a conversation afterwards. Explain to kids that you don't just rip crystal brains out of your friends on the playground. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think this is also much like how Lewis talked during our Alita episode. I think this would be another prime candidate for a late night IMAX 3D viewing. Mm, yeah, I would. I would still, as I said at the start of this, I still would love the chance to see this in theaters. And IMAX sounds like a great fit for it. Yep. So uh, okay, snack. What snack oh. do we eat during this? All right. Well, I think uh, uh, just hear me out, Zach, as usually uh, my snacks uh. begin. Just hear me out. So this this meal is um, it's a crystal brain covered in the gold blood. So like the, the crystal brain would be what you eat and the, the gold blood is like the sauce for it. But here's the kicker. You have to stab your waiter to get the gold blood and you have to rip this crystal skull out of out of the actual head and since if you remember most of our waiters are costumed 
without having waiters actually dying. And I know that you like that, and you're going to like that as a selling point. So what do you think? I can get, do we know what the crystal brain is made of? Is it actually, like, edible? Um, <laughs> it'll be cooked crystal brain. <laughs> um, no, what could, what could we do? Maybe, like, um, I don't know, what's blue? Oh, well, I just, crystal I literally meth. just, uh, that's crystal exactly meth. where I was going from Breaking <laughs> Bad, the blue crystal meth. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's a blue crystal meth brain with a, with a gold blood god sauce. <laughs> gold god blood sauce. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Yeah. All right. I get on board with that. Um, I mean, what would the other option be? Jello? Jello? I don't like Jello. But blue like Jello? Jello? No. Jello's Jello's weird. All right. Um, <laughs> Jello's Chris- too Jello's too Jello-y. <laughs> Jello's. Uh, we'll have to figure it out. We'll have to put that into the uh, for for our our kitchen people. They'll have to figure it out. The logistics yeah. of it. Yeah. So I like well, okay. This is my suggestion. I think we should have, uh, considering we still need more drinks for the Cinematis restaurant. Okay. I think we should have the waters of creation, and it's just a water fountain, but it has a plaque in front of it. <laughs> like it's a regular water fountain. It's a regular, like imagine like a water fountain you'd find like in a Chuck E. Cheese, and above it, it just like has like a giant like very elaborate like not a banner but like a plaque or a sign sure and it says the waters of creation like ingrained in everything engraved it's, engraved yes and it's okay. just hot water <laughs> so when you say the chuck e cheese ones are you i'm i'm thinking of like that that just like the loud rectangular oh, box, gray yes. ones yeah and, and like so- every- and every like ten minutes, you hear like the refrigerating unit go on yeah. to fill the water. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, like we are buying this off the shelf, or even better, we might it might be it might be still installed in the the Mars twenty one twelve restaurant. We might not have to do anything. We might just have to buy a plaque. Oh, so if if that's the case, I feel like it would be most likely that we would have that like the common setup where there's one there's a taller one and a shorter one, you know, for like the adult and the child. Would it just be one plaque for, like, Waters of Creation, or would we have, like, one's the Waters of Creation and one's something else? No, what it is, it's only one fountain, but it's designed okay, for, like, okay. but it's designed for nine feet tall gods. <laughs> okay, so nobody can reach it. <laughs> nobody can reach it. It's there, but nobody can reach it. <laughs> Do we offer this for free in the restaurant? Like we said, you can help yourself to the Fountains of Creation? No, what we do is we make the wait staff get like on a cherry picker, and they have to go all the way up to the still up. If anybody wants water at the restaurant, that's how you, that's how we drive more business to like our our themed beverages that cost more. Okay. Is if anybody wants water, you have to make the wait staff to get up there. And it's like a ten minute wait. <laughs> is there going to be rust in the water? Mm, well, or, or some or some like heavy visible particulate. <laughs> okay. Nope. No. No particles. Okay. But heavy, heavily chlorinated. Oh, because that's that's what you need for uh, creation. It's chlorine. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing helps creation much like uh, cleansing it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why they put chlorine in pools is to help the bacteria grow. <laughs> oh my god, I love it! I love that idea—the fountain of creation. <laughs> With that being said, Rob, how are we going to end this episode? Hmm, that's a good question. Did we get any? Was there any, like, theme music to this? I know there's music throughout a lot of it, but it's very much, you know, the uh, the kind of the march-type march, march type music. Yeah. You know, nothing too developed, you know what I mean? No, nothing really pronounced in this music-wise. Hmm. Was there a music video tie-in, do you know, by any chance? <laughs> Unfortunately, there was no music video tie-in. Oh, no Dua Lipa did this one? Okay. No. no 
18s to the gods of no, Egypt. No Dua Lipa, not even Uno Lipa. Ooh, okay. Well, uh, I don't know. What should we do? Should we go back to the good old Cinemodities backwards? Cinemodities intro? Sure. That's but easy maybe, enough. But maybe we can play some Gerard Butler clips. Oh, okay. Okay, I could see that. Maybe we get some uh, Gerard Butler uh, examples of accents. Yeah. <laughs> in, re- in reverse. In reverse. Maybe we'll see how his like Scottish accent accent comes back when we play it in reverse instead of he loses it. <laughs> Ooh, maybe, maybe that's how he gets it back. When we play it backwards for him. <laughs> yes. This is going to be a voodoo procedure with Gerard Butler's Scottish accent. Go. I had no idea he was a mer- man.